This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Welcome to Bite Into It. It's 7.02. It is our last show of the year. A little bit of a Christmas cheer in here. Just um, just all virtual. Virtual cheer. Yeah. We've got beards. Dan Salmon pressing our buttons this evening. Good evening. And Warren Davies, Hello. my fearless co-anchor. It's so great to do a show with you. Hi. And we've got Simon Brown. Thanks for joining us, Simon. Greetings. And I'm Vanessa Taholka. So thanks for listening on our last show of the year. Um Let's get this show rocking and rolling. Come on, coming up tonight, we will be speaking to a pair of developers behind a group for developer enthusiasts called Junior Dev. So you'll hear a bit more about that. And we've also got someone in here who we've been dying to speak to all year. Her name is Bronwyn Thlune. She is with Launch Vic. And she'll be joined by Courtney Carthy from... Um, from I guess he's he's a, a podcast expert. Nearly Media. From Nearly Media. Nearly Media. Yeah. yeah. I have trouble saying Nearly Media, so I prefer if other people <laughs> say it for me. <laughs> um, I'm nearly verbose, but not quite. Um, so before we get to speak to these amazing guests this evening, we've got a little bit of news. We do. So um, it, it, it's been flagged recently by TechCrunch that um, there was possible a possible... Uh, acquisition happening uh, between Apple and Shazam. Now, that's not Shazam purchasing Apple, that's Apple purchasing (laughs) Shazam. Uh, For those who are uninitiated, Shazam is a really nifty tool. It's one of my most used apps, which is essentially, if you don't know what this song is that you're listening to, you hold up your phone, you press the Shazam button, it records a sample of the song, sends it up to their database and gives you a best guess as to what that song is. Can I do just a shout-out to everybody here as well? Can you just call up your last couple of Shazams just as Dan breaks this down? But, Dan, maybe you might have to go last. Well, no, no, well, that's fine because I can can say that I'm I'm not too proud to say that at Meredith on the weekend I Shazammed a whole lot and because I have no... That's not fair. I have no, but the the in-between DJs are far and away the best part of the festival. And so I spent a lot of time um, doing that and then because I had no service as I was driving back into town and getting service Shazam was just buzzing me with a whole lot of songs that I did <laughs> but anyway so back, back to the news at hand um it's 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 a sort of uh, I suppose TechCrunch cover uh, kind of broke the story last week, but uh, Apple have confirmed that they are going to be purchasing Shazam uh, for they think well the the rumored uh, amount is uh, is a hundred or four hundred million US dollars. Uh, it, what this means really is that the integration that Shazam has with things like Apple Music are going to be a lot more streamlined. Now Shazam already has a really good interface when it comes to you know you'll you'll uh, have your song picked and it will give you options to you know download it from Apple Music or uh, uh, grab it on Spotify or um, grab it from YouTube. It will be interesting to see if um, Apple decide to kind of strangle the relationships with the other, with the competing music uh, uh, services that uh, Shazam already has um, reasonably good integration with. But I suppose it's a a watch this space kind of... uh, area at the moment um we've given you all sufficient time now let's go let's go with your most recent shazams uh melt by duke dumont mm-hmm. um and clonopin by uh Amirasu, which i'm okay with yeah i'm afraid i haven't gotten here because gotten uh, my phone got wet a couple of weeks ago and it's oh, been it's recently right. replaced <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah yeah. Uh, yeah all of my music listening is either done on spotify which makes shazam 
fairly pointless. Or on this fine station, and most most of the DJs here put up playlists. So this is it, true. It, it's not affecting my life. This is true. Exactly. I never Shazam anymore. I just go, remember this exact time because you need to look up what song was playing at this time. Oh, would, would you like some absolutely terrible selections as well? Yeah. Sure. Oh. I must have been in a shopping centre or something. Sure. Uh, S Club 7, uh, uh, S Club Party. Um, you didn't recognise that song? No, I could just Even worse, I he then shazammed it. it to make sure <laughs> yeah. he could remember what it was. I think it was in Sephora. Um, yeah, uh, bad, bad, not good, that's okay. Mm. George Harrison, how can I not remember I got my mind set on you? <laughs> what? It must have been like... Get out. It must have been a solo or something. Yeah, no. I've, I've got Do I Do by Morris McGee and Melody by Plus Two, so that's a bit of disco happening apparently at about three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> my most embarrassing one is probably... What do we got here? What do we got here? What do we got here? I had Ariana Grande, so that's oh, I've, I've got Destiny's Child in here. Oh. <laughs> Great, yeah. Let's <laughs> hopefully, move on. hopefully they'll sort out all these problems of tracks that you shouldn't Shazam under any circumstances. <laughs> Apple, Apple. <laughs> Are you sure you want to be Shazamming this song? Yeah, yeah. they're Your very style conscious. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure they'll they'll have some lenses for us. <laughs> we can only hope. Warren, what's been happening uh, with? Oh, sorry. I think it's Simon that I'm that I'm looking to. What's oh, been happening really? with this mega database of stolen credentials? Sorry, people's uh, Yes, as as you say, there is a mega database of stolen credentials uh, from 250 separate data breaches, according to security researchers for IQ, as reported in the Age. They have pulled together a searchable database of 41 gigabytes worth of usernames and passwords. If that's you think, a lot of usernames and passwords. That's a lot of usernames and passwords. <laughs> like when you're talking in HD video, that's not a lot. If you're talking text, I'd say that that is... What I, proportion of the human population <laughs> is that? Well, yeah. As the article points out, these are all mostly old. But um, who... Th- those who have never reused a password may cast the first stone uh, because, yes. yeah, okay. I, I think there's a few of us who are guilty of reaching back into the uh, the the I haven't used this one in a while bank. Um, and there's also, of course, as the article reminds us, all those services that you signed up for um, probably to get one specific thing and then have completely forgotten about. I looked up, um, uh, I looked through my spam folder mm. the other week and it was a process of, oh, that's right, I signed up for that in some, you know, time in 2007 and mm. they're still sending me emails and I haven't, mm. you know, really mm. looked. So, and this database has probably got my password for that particular service. So, um Yes, as always, as we like to remind people, use good passwords. And if you can't use good passwords, then get off, know, the, get off the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not a reasonable piece of advice. So somewhere. all or nothing. Yeah. <laughs> or use one password or something like that. Just use one. Just use, use one it, password. Use oh, no, one no, password. a tool. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ah. yeah. <laughs> or last exactly pass. That's what he was yeah. saying. Yeah. Yeah. ABC one two. I think it might be quite charming <laughs> to go... Your name for password... It might be quite... With a zero. With a zero. Yeah. yeah. I think it might be quite charming to look back at different people's passwords because, you know, when you're quite naive with the internet, you'll use something that you really like. Mm. And it might be, you know, names of old sweethearts or a favourite pet at oh, the time. Right. A band that like you love. That. That's, that's, that's right. uncrackable. A dead pet is uncrackable. <laughs> it would be really lovely. <laughs> 
There well, you go. Words of wisdom from Warren. According to this article uh, in front of me, uh, a search for admin, administrator and root returned 2,000... 226,631 passwords. 221,000 searches for a root. That's good to know. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Boom, boom. (laughs) Onwards. Warren, what have you got? Netflix are, are creeping everybody out. Um, there is a bit of weird stuff going on. I, I think at this time of year, people let their guard down a little bit. Uh, Netflix is in trouble for taking a cavalier approach to um, use of uh, personal data and privacy. Um, it's not unusual for people to get jokey, uh, especially on, um, on social media, about what people have been doing. Um, a few days ago, uh, Netflix US did tweet out to the 53 people who've watched A Christmas Prince every day for the past 18 days, who hurt you? Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, there have Netflix been, got some sass. It does have some sass. And while it has got a lot of favourites and retweets, um, the follow-up conversation to this has been um, you can't be quite so um, casual um, with the um, the viewing patterns and behaviours of, um, of, of subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, they did actually follow up and say um, all the data is anonymised, but um, there have been questions around who's got access to this kind of thing. Um, it is pretty easy to identify if you are watching A Christmas Prince um, consistently over 18 days. Family members, friends, colleagues um, of these people would, would be able to pick them out and mm. uh, identify them and, and have a go at them. So there is kind of a, I mean, the, the common meme around this is if you're not paying for a service, you're part of the product and um, you should be very careful about it. But you that. are paying for Yeah, Netflix. you're paying for Netflix. Yeah, so in this case, um, it's a little bit weird that um, they would actually put that out there. Um, so It's really funny. I know a lot of people seem creeped out by this, but there's so many genuine overreaches into privacy. I felt like this was completely anonymised. Yeah. Mm. It was such a minor and, and clearly um, light-hearted little, little gambit. It surprised me that this was the line mm. that people felt had been crossed. <laughs> I think it's yeah. I think it's interesting as well. In a week where uh, obviously there's the Disney Fox merger that is making the news that um, that where you know the, one of the big targets, one of the big losers of that is likely to be Netflix. Mm. Um, so they're probably feeling a little bit under the pump from all sides at the moment. I imagine so. There was a, um, a good um, piece of input from um, Laura, um, who is not here tonight, but um, I think, did I favourite it? Um, yeah, maybe I did. I'll let you know about it. Ah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Warren. We're sorry, Laura. We, we've been reading your tweets. Uh, 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 all these different accounts. These people will... You know, people will be on the edge of their seats wanting to know for the rest of the program. Uh, no, here we go. From Kevin okay. Rose. Uh, Kevin Roos, I like this tweet because it's good to be reminded that huge unaccountable companies use our personal data to dunk on us both literally and figuratively. Um, so that is something to think about. We are, we, <laughs> yeah. are, we, are there, we are so many cat toys for so many places. <laughs> we, we, are, we are the puppets. 7.17 on Triple R. You're with Bite Into It with Dan, Warren, Simon and Vanessa. Thanks for joining us. We've just been joined in studio by a couple of legends. We've got Bronwyn Clune, who is the Digital Director at Launch Victoria. And she's joined by Courtney Carthy, who is founder of Nearly Media. You both sound very startup worthy. Welcome to Bite Into It. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks. It's great to have you here. Um, In particular, this evening, we wanted to speak to you about a podcast that's going to be launching soon. It's called Scale Up. It's a Launch Vic initiative, but done uh, in partnership with Nearly Media. Can you tell us a bit, Bronwyn, about what is the Scale Up podcast meant to be? Sure. So it's actually launched. Um, oh, so sorry. So it's out there in the wild. Oh, the gap between <laughs> organising these chats and when they actually come to air is very real and painful. 
Um, so really the idea behind Scale Up is, um, you know, there's so many great stories of Victorian companies out there. And I think the, you know, most of the time we hear about startup content is in short, snappy pieces. We have a lot of events out in the community where people get to talk about their, you know, their wins. But really, it's a journey. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of characters out there. And really, the podcast is the perfect format to really tell those stories and really tap into those things. So we've really produced it for founders and other people who want to create companies out there to really be involved in the journey and to learn in a in a more intimate way about, you know, what happens within a company. So that's really, you know, the, the idea about it and why the podcast format's so fantastic for it. Who was your, the listener that you had in mind when you were putting this together? Um, so the listener, listener is really the audience of who we're trying to target at Launch Vic, or, or one of the things that we're trying to do, which is, you know, help build better founders out there in the community. Um, so it's really just giving them a, a way to tap into sort of deeper knowledge about the ins and outs of actually growing a startup. So we focused on mostly successful, you know, bigger startups in the um, Victorian, um, you know, ecosystem. Culturam's just the first of a number of series we'll be doing. So, so really founders, founders out there. Was it hard to get founders who were willing to sort of let the ugly bits be seen have the have the light shine on some of the like the the less i guess uh beautiful parts of running a company like that um i would say there's there's some things that i don't know and couldn't i couldn't have asked questions about because it just the amount of digging would have been you know i, I what we end like what the stories that we got were honest expressions of what happened and it was refreshing to hear that from a company that's getting really big, that has offices around the world and that is sort of I don't know, doing it all in Melbourne in a way that very few other people have done before. So I, I did ask, you know, what some of the crazy things that happened in Silicon Valley. And I've heard of a handful of stories of people getting money and then renting $15 million French uh, chateaus. Um, in the countryside, you know, near the Napa Valley and then working upstairs or live, massive, working downstairs. Massive tiki's that end up in the bay and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I did try and work in some of the um, Silicon Valley audio into it, but I think copyright's going to stop me. <laughs> um, and the, the, the one thing we sort of found or that I found reporting this story on Coltramp was that they're sort of kind of methodical but at the same time you get this feeling of they'll do what it takes and there's a few consultants and other people that I spoke to outside of it um, that get into a little bit of that nitty-gritty where even the founders you can hear them uh, or see them in your head standing around in a boardroom scratching their heads looking at each other and I think um, one of the episodes was going to be called I think this is a line ball or this is going to be a line ball because they're pitching for this huge client and it comes down to a point where they get off the phone and they're like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> Are we going to make this? Yeah, so one of our briefs in, in talking to people about doing this podcast was that we didn't want to make this a marketing exercise. 
What we really wanted was real, honest stories. And my background is as a journalist as well. And I think, you know, when you approach it with that in mind and get that buy-in from people, everyone's been really open and honest in what they've been willing to share. And I think there's only one story we weren't allowed to report on, and really that was um, that was because of an NDA. You're among friends here, obviously, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice and cool. I feel relaxed. I just so, what happened was... Yeah, so, you know, think, there are things like NDAs around, but, um, you know, we found we can pretty much uh, get anything. We've got another series lined up and, and have a very similar arrangement with that company as well. I can't say who it is yet. Um, but everyone has been very open to that. And I actually think one of the reasons we went with Caltramp first as the first series is they have... A, a very uh, big level of openness and always have. So we wanted to set that bar pretty high from the beginning. So there are some very open and authentic uh, podcasts coming out of Silicon Valley, for instance, where people talk about things like this. When you were looking for inspiration, how did you think about how this needed to be different from some of the things that were out there? So I think Courtney and I had an initial meeting around, you know, how could we create content that's really valuable to our community? And we came up with this idea of a series that told the journey of a company and told that rather intimately. I don't think anyone else is doing that. No one else has told the story from AE to to where they are now. I think um, it's quite original in that way. Mm. And that way we could always have evergreen content. I mean, you can you know, like like you said, between organising this now, things have changed. Mm. This is a story from a company from the very beginning and we've, we've structured it so this, every show kind of does that and builds up on that narrative. I think that's pretty unique and mm. quite frankly our own original so, idea. So, <laughs> so a little bit more like, you know... Winks, winks. So, so Serial, something like Serial actually yeah. was, our, was so, our inspiration. But Serial meets like Recode Decode or something like that. Yeah, it's like the nerdy tech version of Serial. <laughs> right. No one dies. But we didn't, we didn't have to go out all like fail fast, fail like failure everywhere, mm. which seems to be really sort of quite popular at the moment. It was it's it's just it's the story told by the founders and the people around the founders. Which All right, is, you've got my you've got my interest. Can we have a listen to? Some you of can. It? I think I love thing I love about this clip too is it's just so Australian. The other thing is we have kind of doubled down on the Australianness in this <laughs> in this um, series, and I, I really love that. So I think this is a good one. And in the US, it was kind of, uh, you mentioned before, you know, what were the barriers or being Australian? It was, it was kind of, we, we used to sort of play up uh, in our emails that we were from Australia when That's we were over there. Yeah, so we'd be like, hey, we're, we're over, and we'd say, you know, time, hey, we're from, you know, we're over from Melbourne, Australia for, for one week, <laughs> like on tour, you know, and, and we'd just get these meetings. And sometimes you think that someone's just taking a meeting just to see what it's like to have a meeting <laughs> with a tech company from Australia. Um, uh, so I think that actually played, you know, played to our advantage. <laughs> that is excellent to hear people exploiting their Australianness. Um, did you hear very many similar experiences about, you know, branding yourself overseas and, and that part of the story? I think the, um, it sort of comes through in the attitude more than anything, uh, you know, the way that people were, like the founders um, or, you know, some of the employees now and they're, you know, pushing 200 employees here in Australia and, you know, a handful of other offices around the world, London, um, San Francisco and New York. Um, the, there's sort of like a relaxed air that comes, there's never sort of such a cockiness, but, um, you know, just a, like, 
I think sometimes when uh, Rod Hamilton, when was he was telling the story, he's one of the founders, he'd do that thing where you sort of open up your eyes really wide and sort of puff out your cheeks and go... <laughs> as if you're staring down the barrel of something. But they'd always find a way to figure it out. And, like, um, Jason there, who's the first employee, he... Um, He's just sort of candor about, like, this is what we're doing and we're here, so we're going to give it a shot and, you know, why not just keep going and it's okay. Um, you would have, Bronwyn, seen a lot more of that than me, but... Yeah, so, I mean, one of the great stories as well that they kind of shared with us is, um, you know, they got this massive client, um, Adobe, in the beginning and they hadn't actually built anything. They <laughs> sold it and then they're scrambling around to do this thing because, you know, this big company has believed in them. And so they're very honest about those things. But, you know, um, to your question about branding and that sort of thing, I think the interesting kind of challenge and what comes through and is, is an interesting part of that story is, um, you know, Caltramp helps companies Build, build companies with good culture. So, you know, the, I think the series we're releasing tomorrow is about that challenge. Like, how do you stay true to that and grow? Um, and so it's less, it's less about branding and I think it comes across as being pretty authentic. Um, and knowing Culture App quite intimately myself, I think that really kind of comes across and is, is kind of a cool quirkiness about them and a little edgy. Um, they also talk about, you know, when they went to take funding, there was this question about, is this going to change our culture? Mm. Um, you know, so there's these interesting port points of, you know, self-reflection that make for a really compelling story. Mm. Courtney, I think um, it's interesting um, how people are always quick to say this is happening with media or TV's dead or this is what's going on and everything, there seems to be like lots of different patterns that emerge and I think in some ways podcasts are similar to radio where people do like listening to people that they know, like natter on for like half an hour or an hour or something like that. Why do, why do you think it is that um, when we've got so much stuff going out there and, you know, media is abundance, that people do still like to get together and, you know, listen to someone that, you know, it's a new podcast, they've never heard of these people, many of them. Why do we want to take an hour out of our day? Um, hopefully it's because my voice is hosting this podcast. Oh. Um, <laughs> what other options? <laughs> and, and why everybody listens to you guys, because they really like your voice. But it's um, the, the information, it's a very intimate experience um audio is a um and the, the the best description i've heard of it um which i think is from an academic in barcelona is that you build the pictures um in the for the story in your head and then while you're doing that then it becomes your own story uh like reading a book you're you're imagining the colors mm. and it's something that you can sort of have a you know a share or like an understanding with somebody else that you know that's what that color was at that scene but um, it's still highly personal, um, but because you sort of understand it privately, when you find somebody else that under, you know that also knows that story that you can share it with, it's a moment of realization that you've both had a you know a similar experience, you know, independent of each other. Mm -hmm. um, I still do like sitting around, you know, listening to podcasts with other people, but uh, for a lot of people, just because of the hardware. You've got an earbud stuck in your ear, you're on the tram. You know, it's it's generally consumed sort of, you know, in a bit of a solo way or while cooking dinner like I was this afternoon with my wife. I also think for me as a podcast, um, you know, listener, I think, you know, the, the closest form we had to get getting something so intimate used to be documentaries and they're always almost films. I think podcasts, especially for um, places like Launch Vic, are a kind of easier, cheaper way for us to, to create the same sort of experience. 
um, you know, without without film crews, without all that sort of thing. I still f- think it's, you know, it's brought something to life that we couldn't otherwise, um, you know, for, for us as an organisation. So we briefly mentioned Serial before and people mm. thought, how could they do a follow-up to Serial, you know, and and yet they did and they smashed it out of the park. Are you thinking about Series 2? Yeah, so we've we've got a company who's agreed to do Series 2, mm-hmm. a very uh, different company to Caltramp, very unique story. They've been around for about 10 years and I think a lot of people always see them as a, an overnight success. Um, they're not. Um, but... You know, a very, very different story. And I think, you know, knowing a lot of the startups in Australia have been successful, all of them have a pretty unique story to tell. So we really want to kind of tap into that. And it's one of the interesting things about startups. It's And one of the myths we've kind of created around our industry is this, this formula that you, you know, you do this and then you create an MVP and you do it in your garage and then someone gives you funding. Almost none of that really happens. Uh, and there's no there's no repeatable thing often because they're all working across different industries. But I think they're broader lessons to learn about resilience and persistence, you know, about, um, you know, wearing the storm, which is what we're trying to kind of tease out with these stories. Um, so, so, yes, there will be. So when people tend to tell true stories in podcasts, a common criticism can be, or, or something that people are very um, aware of, is the editing process. And are you editing for high drama? And you know, are you affecting the way the story is being told at all? How how did you balance you know the the wanting to tell a really compelling story and any need to sort of hold things back and and sort of space them out a bit? Um, I think it's, I, I, I'd argue that, you know, the story that, you know, you might tell a friend, you, you know, you do your own editing like that um, in a very sort of um, possibly unconscious way. But I, I can't help but side with the audience on whatever I make. So I'd, I'd feel a bit undermined if I was, you know, had to make something that was a straight marketing thing that was, you know, and sitting down and doing these interviews and spending all this time running between people's offices and, you know, went up to Sydney for a little bit to speak to a few people um, and learning about this company that when Bronwyn and I sat down and she said, Culture Amp, I knew nothing about. Um, to what I listen back to now and sort of, you know, reabsorb. Um, I don't think that we've gone off path or have been, you know, um, untrue to any of the stories that we're trying to tell, Um, you know, because I'd feel really guilty if I was being untruthful just because, you know, Catholic parents. But (laughs) um, uh, also Bronwyn knows the story, so she's going to tell me that, (laughs) Courtney, this is a lie. You've created something and put some really heartfelt music to it, but it wasn't actually an aggressive story. (laughs) Look, we've pushed you a little on that, Courtney, but I think we were really just saying, you know, how much did you need to dramatise? And I think you've um, you've really got your voice across there. People Thanks. now know to expect a quite genuine um, read on the situation. I, so. I, I think you don't really almost have to embellish startups yeah. who've made it. I mean, it's always, almost always dramatic. There's always highs, there's always lows, there's always pressure that you can, you know, can barely imagine until you've been through it. So it wasn't it wasn't hard to create anything, and really we're editing for interest. I mean, we yeah. want people to listen to this. Yeah. I think there's a lot to, for people to get out of it. Yeah. Um, so the podcast for those who've just joined us is from Launch Vic. It's called Scale Up, and it is the story of Culture Amp's journey as a startup, um, a very Australian story, a proud success story for uh, for Australia. 
I do recommend that people go check it out. I'm going to be checking it out straight after the show tonight. Oh, good. Bronwyn and Courtney, thanks so much for joining us. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. If you're a junior dev, it is not easy uh, to, well, firstly get connected to other junior devs to figure out the gaps in your knowledge and experience. Um, there is a group, fortunately, doing something about this. Um, junior Dev IO uh, is a community. Um, uh, I guess you'd describe it as a sustainable community. Um, been going for over a year now. Um, they have regular uh, and ad hoc meetups around the country. Um, and to hear more about that, uh, we do have two of the junior devs in the studio, LJ Kenwood and Luke Masidi. Um, thanks for coming in, guys. Thanks, thanks for having, for having us. us. No, it's the least we could do. Um, snap. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of feel like this has come about because you guys saw a need for it yourself. Um, what's the story with, with getting this started and, and why was it needed? Definitely. So um, I changed careers from uh, doing truck driving in the mining industry in WA into software development. Mm. So it was quite a transition mm. and uh, I did a three-month coding boot camp, which um, was great in many ways, but, you know, it's three months, so you can't learn everything. And uh, landed a job at an awesome company called Zero, and I met mm. Luke there where we'd, um, he'd started working uh, just a few weeks before. And um, Was that like an intern role? Or? Uh, yeah, so I had a one-month internship, which resulted in the end in a full-time role. Thanks, Zero. Uh, <laughs> really loving it. Um, and uh, so this was about a year and a half ago. And, uh, yeah, we just ended up in the same team and uh, Luke kind of was mentoring me a bit as he'd had a bit more experience. And But we're constantly, like, I guess, swapping articles and talking about being a junior dev and uh, the challenges and, you know, going into work at a, in a, a code base that's massive, right, and we've only ever written little side projects mm. during my boot camp was quite overwhelming and there was a lot of areas that I needed uh, upskill in. Mm. And, um, yeah, just found that there wasn't heaps of things that were relevant for this that level, like for a junior in the community and uh, definitely needed the support and uh, of my peers. And so really when we didn't find that, uh, we just created it. It's kind of like being, uh, I guess being a developer is kind of like being a, an artist or a tradesperson. Like there's lots of ways that you can learn it and you can be multi-skilled and there's no one way of doing it. Um, how did you get ahead in it, Luke? How did you kind of get new skills, learn new languages, etc. Yeah, um, I uh, so originally I went to uni um, and did uh, programming years ago, um, mm. but then kind of went into another avenue in IT. Um, and because dev moves incredibly fast, um, I was out of date and uh, needed mm. to reskill. So I did a boot camp. I think we did the same boot camp. I'm from Sydney, though. I did it mm. in Sydney and then came down here um, Which, about yeah. three years ago. Yeah, great. And um, was the um, was the meetup something that you both kind of decided that you needed, or was there kind of was it bubbling away already, like informal in a way? Uh, yeah, it was us. It was uh, some friends we have as well that are kind of in a similar situation. Um, you go to these meetups and they're fantastic, but they're really um, deep dive, technical, kind of intimidating places uh, that kind of goes over your head a lot uh, when you're starting out. So um, something much more junior level was really relevant to us. Yeah, so there you are experiencing these deep dive boot camp sort of things. And yeah, they can be very stare at your screen and, and almost lonely experiences. But aside from like the level of technical detail, what else did you feel was missing from that sort of experience? 
So being able to just chat with the people that are going through the same thing as you, shared experience um, is so valuable. Uh, you know, it's it's not the shoulder to cry on per se. It's not that bad. Um, but it's it's being around your, your peers um, that are going through the same thing as you. And uh, a lot of our meetups aren't very technical. We have some technical talks, but it's a lot more about uh, the people side of um, development and your career. And uh, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a hit. So yeah. I That's think great. people resonate. It's yeah. the, um, like we often say, it's kind of unofficial alumni um, for the boot campers, the self-taughters. Mm. University students as well. It's so what are some of the experiences, you know, you're seeing people have with your meetup group? Yeah. So um, first time speakers and people growing in that way. So we have people that aren't junior developers speak at our events, but we have, uh, we really, really encourage. I uh, try not to say I bully them, but uh, I think it's a fine line. <laughs> um, but uh and seeing people get up and, and speak about a topic, uh, it's so much value from that itself and where they go. And then uh, a lot of friendships, I guess. Um, we're seeing people attend hackathons together that have met at our meetups um, and going to other community events now that they might not have gone to before because they're going with other people they already know. From I really community. wish our audience could see how big your eyes get <laughs> when you talk about this, LJ, and how enthusiastic you are. And I don't think anyone could help being swept up by your enthusiasm. I, I really feel like this is the sort of thing that would have helped me when I was at uni and just learning how to code and going to online forums was such a dry way of getting help and just really isolating. Did you ever go to, um, you know, seek help on, in online environments and, and see if that would help you out? And what were your experiences of that? I mean, constantly. Uh, as a dev, you, you use, uh, you look for answers on the internet. Um, but especially when you're a junior, I think... Um, you, it's really good to have a conversation with someone. Um, it just yeah, to get to that why, not just the yeah. what's right, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I guess this was part of it as well in starting Junior Dev uh, is that we do go to the internet for help, right? But when you're actually at work and you're working on... Um, a product that you know isn't out in the open like the code base isn't it's not open source we're a business um it, you can't find the answers that you necessarily need you know you need experience and knowledge and conversations and creative problem solving rather than just getting maybe syntax or specifics off off those internet um resources so what sort of feedback are you getting from the more experienced people who you bring along as guest speakers um they love it, yeah, definitely. Um, they love the mentoring opportunities as well, um, which is, uh, I think, as you become more experienced, is a really cool thing, uh, way to give back as well. Yeah. I notice there's uh, heaps of different types of events that you have, so it's not just we're not just talking about the, the big stuff here. You do have a book club, but I think the largest attendance in recent times was uh, Code and Tell, uh, a night of mm-hmm. technical talks and coding. I think you had over 100 people there. What went on at that one that... Um, put in such demand. Yeah, that was really epic. So uh, I did mention we don't do really deep dive technical stuff very often. Um, we're language, programming language agnostic. So um, we have people that know JavaScript, Ruby, all sorts of things. So uh, we try, So for this event, we went, right, we've got 
we know there's these awesome speakers in our community that have technical topics. Let's kick off um, with a big technical night. And yeah, there's definitely the demand for it. And we had um, five amazing speakers as well who did incredible talks. So uh, who are also like around and about in the community. So yeah. So there was a, that seems like a pretty cool topic, uh, rejects and uh, Ruby, a match made in heaven, uh, how to quit your job. That's probably good advice for a junior. Um, yeah. You don't want to end up stuck in a, a terrible job for too long. Um, CSS Playground, uh, epic bug hunt, um, actually, and de-stressing debugging. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was really amazing. Um, the CSS Playground one was just a really fun look at how to make shapes in CSS. Like, technically, um, you know, not hugely complex but it was like such a well-crafted interactive talk i think i did get the red square done in one of those <laughs> online courses <laughs> yeah. it's like one of the first lessons but some of those foundational skills you know seeing somebody else a- a- apply solutions to a problem can be really instructive do you get any wish lists of topics that people want you to cover react um, uh, yeah. <laughs> testing people yeah. always want to know more about testing that's interesting yeah yeah uh, and what about from the mentor side? Are there people pitching things that you just desperate to, to have an audience? Uh, everybody wants a mentor um, and many people that we're discovering now want to be mentors. But, yeah, we have people, especially senior developers or more experienced, that want to do talks. Um, they're really enthused by the junior dev um, in- enthusiasm uh, and absolutely, like... Oh, like the vibe at our events, it's just like the juniors kind of eat apple every word <laughs> and it's just like you could, it, you kind of rock star status. Uh, one of, the, one of the things that we have um, taken an interest in, in not, not just um, developers, but um, any of the professions in the sort of technology industry is um, diversity. Do you get a feel on sort of um, jobs um, coming through for young women in um, development? Is, a, is the gender mix pretty good at these events? Um, yeah, absolutely. That's um, been something that we've been really conscious of, um, diversity and inclusion the whole um, time. Um, I think we were looking at stats earlier uh, today and we had over 50% of our speakers uh, were female mm. um, this last year. Do you feel it's an inclusive space? I mean, this is kind of the, the year of sort of uh, inclusion and kind of shining a light on things that could be better. Like, how, how do you feel about the kind of community that you're creating? Our community, definitely, yeah. yeah. Um, we kind of, uh, we talk about a lot, we um, reiterate that it is an inclusive space um, and uh, people, uh, we provide channels for people to communicate with us if um, they're finding it that it's not. We're very opinionated and <laughs> and we've owned being in an opinionated community. So although it's we have other people that contribute and run events and help out, Luke and I definitely uh, steer the ship, I would say. And part of that is being really strong um, with our inclusivity and diversity. Um, and we have a really strong code of conduct. Uh, we talk about it at the start of every event and uh, and I think people know we'll act on it as well. Um, so it's something that's really important to our community. Personally, it's, I'm very passionate about it as well. Um, and I think there's a huge push in the wider tech industry, especially here in Australia, mm-hmm. um, for, the, for diversity and inclusion. So LJ and Luke, like um, many of us, you're about to take a break for summer and uh, have a, a quick you know, refresh. But when you come back in the new year, as well as the regular sorts of events that are on your plate, uh, what are you thinking about? 
Yeah, so <laughs> um, on top of our monthly meetups and ad hoc ones, um, we're just announcing today that um, we're doing a conference called Levels um, mid-2018. Uh, levelsconf.com levels <laughs> <laughs> um, so Smooth guys <laughs> I wasn't rehearsed at all <laughs> uh, So I mean this goes back as well to like being inclusive, being around peers there's great tech conferences here in Australia worldwide but uh, the price point is often very high um, if you don't have an employer paying for you to go it's, uh, it's not really feasible. We do have a lot of current students and self-taught coders in other careers that are in our community and would greatly benefit from going to a tech conference, but it's unachievable. Um, so it's kind of a natural next step for us after doing like 24 events this year to go, right, let's ramp it up. Um, so yeah, we're really excited about that. Our summer holidays will be planning yeah. levels. <laughs> But if you want to get involved, if you're um, sitting around for right now going, what do I do in January? Things work's going to be pretty quiet. I don't have to finish that product or whatever that I'm working on. Um, how can people get involved? Um, yeah, it's, they can check out gndev.io. Uh, definitely uh, check out our meetup page uh, where we run a lot of our events through that. Um, hello at juniordev.io. You can contact us. Mm -hmm. And if you want to get into coding and see what it's all about, maybe you're not um, there yet, uh, freecodecamp.org is an open source online free resource to start learning to code. Uh, it's, yeah, a really good resource to get into it. So, I love you guys. I really wish you'd been around at my uni <laughs> times. Thanks so much for coming in. It's been great to speak with you. Thank you. Guys, we're getting towards the end of the year. Oh, my gosh. I know. Um, Warren, what, what's been your highlight so far? So far, I guess, yeah. Uh, so far, um, I don't know. I think um, I'm always a big believer in transparency. I don't always talk about it. When it comes up, uh, I try and um, say something about it. So a lot of the um, uh, large platforms do publish a report every year. Um, I might see if I can share that um, uh, on our Twitters or on our Facebook. But I think... Um, we talked about it last week, um, Me Too being named Person of the Year. Uh, I think we haven't heard enough about what's been going on in technology. There have been famous cases that we've reported on. Um, um, things like uh, Tinder and Snap have had, I think, um, some public cases uh, around um, employee misdeeds um, at a senior level. Um, so I think uh, I think Me Too taking off and going strong was, was a really good thing for me. Mm. It's good to shine a light on these things. Simon, how about yourself? Best for the year. Uh, I'm going to switch to the incredibly inane and personal from that and say this was the year that I stopped being a Mac guy and Ooh, it whoa. was quite quite a revelation to sort of take a sideward step and go, hmm, there's another world out there <laughs> and it's not quite as shiny but it still works. I read only half a percent of Android users run the current Oreo version. Like what's going on with you guys? Ah oh, no, well you know, I mean my my phone I don't have a choice about. Okay. So it was it was you're talking about your computer. It was it was the the switch to Windows that I was talking about. The mm. um because yeah because I got to that point where it was uh, I want to do all of this stuff and it seems like uh, especially in the creative world that uh, the PC world has finally sort of 
gotten up neck and neck and mm. actually some of the the criticisms I was talking to someone the other day who works in uh, audio and video and they said you know we're setting up a Mac and a PC and the PC just worked and the Mac took two days of stuffing around to mm. get it so yeah something is seriously askew in the fabric of time and space maybe and it's all that music mm. that they've been buying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Shazam's just plugging up all of their service yeah. now it's just so we'll see we'll, I, I think that there is a shift and that every um, every bearded creative you see is not necessarily going to be toting a MacBook in That's the near a future. Lie. That's a lie. <laughs> no, I'm definitely platform agnostic. You know, one one world for work, another world for home. And, and you do spot a beautiful beard. Oh, <laughs> it's it's lush. You know, I'm thinking of getting rid of it for summer. Though. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be too warm. <laughs> My personal highlight, and I think this is probably even more inane than yours, Simon, like it's been nice to see the very steady progression of virtual reality into the mainstream. Mm. Um, we've had a few VR kind of uh, guests come on throughout the, the course of the year and like seeing it particularly um, around the, um, I suppose, the advent of VR becoming a lot more in, ingrained in art and, and the expression of art I think is great, which... Uh, we spoke to the guys or the team from Academy XI a few weeks ago and uh, this is one of my worst segues ever. They are actually holding um, a tilt brush tournament. Now, tilt brush is something I only found out about in that in that interview. Essentially, you put on a virtual reality headset and you can paint the world that you're in uh, using your hand, which sounds like an amazing music video clip but it's something that you can you can do um, and Tilpra and Academy XI in conjunction with uh, Acme and uh, Acme X Acme X my, my apologies um, and Melbourne VR Meetup are actually holding a Tilt Brush tournament uh, to bring its first ever Melbourne Tilt Brush tournament on December 14th so that's uh, tomorrow um, you can head down to uh, Acme X on Kavanagh Street in Southbank uh, f- from 6 till 8 and get involved with, with a little bit of uh, creativity in your own mind. Yeah, and find the Tilt Brush tournament on meetup.com if you're curious about that. Absolutely. Uh, it's been an awesome year. Uh, thank you so much to uh, everyone for contributing to the show and making it the wonderful uh, little tech community uh, that here, it is. Here. Yeah, thank you to all our contributors. We're going to put our feet up for uh, a few weeks. Uh, we're going to pursue individual hobbies, um, uh, fine tune our music collection, um, <laughs> work on a few things. But um, we'll be back in, I think, the first week of Feb. Is that right? Uh, I, I yeah. don't know. I have to go on holidays first. Before we go, big thank you to our guests tonight, Bronwyn, Courtney, LJ and Luke as well. Have a great summer. We've been bought into it. Up next is Anthony Carew. Stick around. Bye. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.